Welcome to the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. We've got all of the different interviews that have been conducted in the last week or so that uh, you have yet to hear compiled for you on this very, very wonderful podcast. So sometimes we'll have interviews that are podcast exclusive like Jillian Robertson and others you might have seen already on TSN.ca. But for the most part, if you're a subscriber to the TSN MMA Show, this is a good place to make sure you get all of the interviews that are conducted by yours truly. And we're splitting the show up into two different segments uh, on the podcast. We've got the interview show, which is going to be autonomous from the show with Joe and myself. So if you're looking for more topical discussion, uh, feel free to tune in when we release that show tomorrow. It'll be Joe and I catching up a little bit, talking about all of the different things that are going on in the world of mixed martial arts, and, uh, you know, talking all the news, all the notes, all the stories. But uh, in terms of the interviews, this is the place for all of those. Uh, if you have any sort of feedback, I'd love to hear it. Please send me a, a message on uh, Twitter, at Aaron Bronstetter. Uh, just to let me know if you like the idea of the show being split up, if you'd prefer to all have everything w once a week. But uh, typically what I'd like to do is release it twice a week. And uh, if you enjoy that format, please let me know as well. Uh, your, your feedback is important to me. And I want to make sure that uh, everything that uh, we do here on the TSN MMA show is to your liking. So let's uh, run down the guests that we have this week. We've got uh, Brian Ortega, who will be taking on the Korean Zombie in the main event of UFC Fight Night this coming weekend. A great interview with Brian, as always. He's one of the more thoughtful guys in MMA. Just You, you can tell that every word that comes out of his mouth is an important thought of his. You, you know, I, I really enjoy catching up with him and uh, talking to him about his uh, main event with the Korean Zombie. And uh, I also got to check in with the Korean Zombie, who uh, was with his coach, Eddie Cha, who was translating for us. And... I asked Eddie a couple questions, too. I'm always interested to pick Eddie's brain, so you can uh, listen to that as well on uh, this, this particular show. Also, I have an interview with Jillian Robertson. Jillian Robertson will be the only Canadian representing us uh, next, or this coming weekend, rather. She's taking on Pollyanna Botelho, and she's currently ranked 15th in the women's flyweight division, which I think is a sham. And I'll talk to her about that a little bit. She's uh, a little bit uh, more, more, uh, you know, less, less worried about that than I am. But I, I think that she deserves a little bit more uh, of her due. Uh, also joined by Joaquin Buckley, and that name was might not have been as familiar to you a week ago as it is now. It's the highlight heard around the world: the spinning heel kick, right to the chin of Impa Kasanganai, that uh, really catapulted this young man to the you know, the top of the mountain when it comes to sports highlights, not just MMA highlights. I mean, this highlight, we have it on SportsCenter 1v1, and it's just destroying the competition. This is a, a highlight uh, that will last in infamy. And uh, tomorrow, Joe and I will discuss where it ranks, you know, in terms of all-time highlights. I don't have it as my number one, but it's certainly in the mix. It's I've watched it a million times, so, you know, you're welcome to the UFC, who got uh, 13 million views for it or something along those lines. One million of them was me, so... Uh, you know, no, no thank yous needed. I, you know, I did it out of the, the kindness of my heart. So uh, enjoyed uh, watching uh, that highlight uh, several times. It's just, it's really amazing what humans can do. <laughs> I mean, that's that's about all I can say about that. It's like, it's unbelievable that he was able to pull that off. The timing, the precision, the style, the ingenuity, it had it all. And uh, now Joaquin Buckley's life has changed forever. This is a guy that uh, I think the UFC are going to put into a big spot going forward to uh, show off his skills. And uh, we also have Mandel Nalo, Rat Garbage, joining us. Uh, he's competing against Syed Awad on the Bellator card this week. Uh, enjoyed catching up with Mandel. Mandel is uh, a very, very interesting guy. He just has a, a lot of uh, cool thoughts. Very different, very different person. I, I like him. He's a... Uh, and I also think that he's somebody who has a really bright future in this sport. You know, I, I always ask people at TriStar, who do you think is a, 
you know, the best guy training there that a lot of people haven't heard of. And they always say Mandel Nalo. So it was nice to uh, check in with Mandel and uh, talk to him. So let's get to these interviews. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll uh, start off with uh, the interview with Brian Ortega, followed by the Korean Zombie, Jillian Robertson, Joaquin Buckley, and uh, we'll, we'll finish the show off with Mandel Nalo. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, again, tomorrow you can hear the podcast that's more about the topics, conversations, debates, stories going on in the world of mixed martial arts. You can tune in then. Here's Brian Ortega on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by T-City, Brian Ortega. T-City goes all the way to Fight Island, and uh, you've got your Lakers jersey. Congratulations to your hometown team. L.A., baby. Now, before I did this interview with you, I actually saw a video of yourself with Kobe Bryant, and Kobe Bryant was saying, you know, you're the next guy up. Um, did you have a relationship with Kobe? Well, you know, what did he mean to you? Obviously, somebody who came up in L.A., uh, the Mamba mentality. Did you, uh, you know, obviously his death was a major tragedy of 2020. 2020 has not been a good year. But uh, what did he mean to you? I mean, man, growing up, that guy was introduced to me by my uncle, my uncle Ruben. And uh, my uncle Ruben was like the biggest Laker fan. My dad was the biggest Dodger fan. So right off the bat, basically being born in in Harbor area, L.A., right? Um those were the two people you go for, the Lakers and the Dodgers. And, I mean, I can remember as, as, as young, you know, kind of young, I was like, my uncle's like, that's Kobe. Like, that's Kobe. Like, even this is way before he even established his legacy, right? He was just, like, the biggest Kobe fan. Um, and that's kind of how it was. And my uncles would always come from Mexico and come to, to L.A. and live with us. And then his younger brother came also, and it was like, yo, like, L.A., Kobe, L.A., Kobe. Like, this, like so it was always ingrained in me and then finally when i signed with body armor in the ufc uh i realized that kobe had part ownership of it and then we would have um dinners right um where he would speak and if you were part of the team like i am you were back there and then you would be having dinner with them uh you would have dinners you had conversations you get to meet them uh talk with them while he's at the event getting ready to speak to all the body armor employees. So that's what we did, man. We would go there and I'd see him. And then uh, that from that day, it was where we, same thing, we showed up there, you know, dressed to impress. And, uh, I mean, we just had some good conversations, you know. Like, um, he was basically explaining how his mentality goes into my sport, although it's not a team sport. And we literally have dinner and, you know, drink a little wine, whatever, and relax, and, and then uh, and just talk, man. Just kind of talk about life, talk about questions that I had um, in in the spotlight that things sometimes I can't handle right. Um, and he would just tell me about these and, 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 and how to handle these situations, and, and basically that was it, man. You know, he basically told me how to to think like the best. And, um, and yeah, you know, we, we made a video for my uncle. We sent it to him because they were the biggest fans. And then uh, after that, it was like, yeah, man, we just did, we did a little video. We did, had some photos, but we just kind of hung out, man. It was dope that he took interest in me, you know. His security guard also was like, yo, man, like we're from the same area and I like you, kid, and this and that. So we kept in contact. Uh, one thing I do regret was uh, 
they're like, yo, Kobe and, and, and security guard, they invited you to, to, to go sit from row Laker game. And I was just like, nah, man, like I'm in training camp. I got to stay focused. But it was almost my way of letting him know I'm using his mentality, you know, like no distractions, no nothing. It don't matter who it was for, you know, like you're the best pro, but right now I'm, I'm training. And I, I thought maybe I'd figure I'd make him proud with that, you know, let him know that I'm focused. But when you think about it now, you know, like how life is short, it's like I wish I would have just went over there and, and watched the game and just and got to sit front row with, with Kobe and just bullshit, you know, like no one does that. Uh, but yeah, I still talk to, to the security guard. We're still, you know, we still keep in contact. And, uh, and uh, yeah, man, like uh, we, I talked to him not that long ago and. He's got some dope stuff that he's he's gonna give me uh, when I get back from uh, you know from here, and he, he's the one that sent these jerseys up. You know, this one has the eight and the 24 on the back, so it's a it's a special kind of jersey. You know, oh, that's but, more yeah. more profound than I would have expected. So uh, th- thank you for sharing all of that. I didn't realize that he had such a uh, an integral part on on your life as an athlete. Um, and like you said, I think that. You, you look at the Mamba mentality, and I think that what you've done the last two years, kind of you know tearing it all down, building it back up, um, you had to obviously rehab injuries, but you've also uh, started working with a brand new team, really finding the, the things that you can improve in your game, knowing that you, know, you weren't the finished product in that last fight. Um, what, what are we going to see still, from, yeah, what are we going to uh, see from you in this next fight that, that you think will, that see, will stand out right away? The beginning of the new product is what everyone's going to see. Um, and when I say beginning, I mean, obviously I have my stuff, but it's like, um, this is just the beginning of who I'm going to be. Um, I, we have, we have a five year plan right now that, that is to, to take me to different levels. And so far we're in not maybe, maybe phase one still of this plan. And I feel super confident with phase one. The world's going to see what phase one is on Saturday gonna get home and then start working still we have we have a big plan ahead of us we have a lot of work ahead of us a lot of work to do a lot of things to fix a lot of things to learn and uh and a lot of work to be put so for me this is when i'm excited to go home and go back to training and i'll go back to celebrating and drinking and, and and calling it that's it so for me i have a crazy plan right now um and i'm gonna be working hard for the next five years are you glad so just that, that you took the time away? Like that, that you didn't have to put the pressure on yourself to take all those new tools and put them into play right away. You had time to let it marinate. You had time to really absorb all of it. And now you can put it into action without the kind of pressure of wanting to do too much too soon. Well, it marinated already. You know, all the surgeries I had and, and, and the rehabs that I had to go through, that's a lot of time without, without fighting, if you think about it, or without training. Um, that alone makes you think. For me, it's uh, fighting and training makes me happy. Those are my escapes out of life. Um, when you take that away from me, <clears throat> then you basically almost cut my happiness, right? So for me, it was figuring out who I was and then saying, you know what? Like, okay, I, I went through that phase. Then I went back to the training phase and I went back to falling in love phase with, with, with all the arts and everything. So I feel like it's been perfect amount of time for everything. 
So while you were rehabbing, like you mentioned, no training, and that's something that you've been doing for whatever, last 15 years or whatever it is, day in and day out. What were you thinking about most of the time when you were just on, on your own, um, you know, without being able to do the thing you love? I mean, I take everything day by day. Um, I was happy that I get a break because at the time I, I was just fighting nonstop. It was like, go here, go there, go here, go here, get a fight here. Oh, after you win your fight, cool, we have all these uh, places that you have to be at for the next two months of your life. Oh, now that you're back home, like, cool, rest for a week, and then we're back on a camp. I was like, oh, shit, okay. So really, your life, my life was in the fast lane. And uh, to, to kind of just wake up and not have a plan, not have anything to do almost be bored right like what the hell do i do in my life right now it's not even my i would look forward to to the rehab day and the rehab day would be just someone massaging my hand and just barely forcing my thumb to move but it was like that's something i look forward to um and then to now man to where it's like we're full speed ahead where my life is 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 going it's functioning and uh and everything so i mean it was it was different man but um I took the best out of everything. I, I live in the moment a lot. At least I try to stay in the present moment. I don't, I don't think too much, too much ahead of the future when I have some when I have goals set in mind already. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just took it day by day, and uh, appreciated everything. I knew I was on the journey. I knew I was deep in the tunnel. I wasn't gonna see the light for a while, and then when I started to get my strength back and I started moving again, everything I go, okay, cool. We're halfway down this tunnel. Um, so where we're at right now, like I, I'm looking at the light now, you know, come Saturday night, I'll, I'll be past it. You spoke to Brad Okamoto and you mentioned to him that, uh, after the Moicano fight is when you knew you needed to make some dramatic changes. You knew that there was a lot more to learn, but because you were successful, you just kind of kept going at Misha Sirkinov, uh, fellow Canadian like myself was in the same situation. He was at a smaller gym. He knew that he needed to go and learn more, but he also was having success, so he, he stuck with it. Um, after the Max fight, was it less difficult for you to get over that kind of a loss because you could kind of say to yourself, I knew it, like I was right about this and I probably should have done this before this well, fight? Yeah, I mean, I knew I was right already. I knew I was right. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and I reached out for help, you know, and uh, it, 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 no one, no one basically heard that, or it was ignored, really. And uh, I was like, okay. And because I was in the fast lane, there was no time to really sit there and keep complaining. I was like, go right into your next one. I was like, cool. We had the victory with Cub. Uh, it's like, see, told you you didn't need anything. It's like, no, I still do. I need it again. No, you don't. Boom. Took a fight on two weeks' notice. Finish Edgar. I told you you didn't need it. That was the best knockout of your life. You you made history right there that night. It's like, I'm kind of running out of cards here, man. Like, that's just fucking, just good things on, on my part, right? Figuring out these little windows. Um... They were not technical fights. I mean, they're all fight, but they didn't last that long. You know, what are you going to do when you have to play chess for 25 minutes? I want to be able to do that. And um, 
sure enough, we got the max fight, and we had to play chess for 25 minutes. And I knew it. And then going into there, my body started breaking down from the whole one year, basically, of training for that fight because it got canceled. So it was just a lot of beat-up work on my body. And then to go in there and just, like, have the car break down on you during a race and still try to push it, it just sucked. And I was like, cool, I told you guys. Now you guys believe me. Unfortunately, you had to be, you had to see me like this in order to believe me. But I've been begging for this for two years now, or a year and a half now. Because I didn't want this day to happen. And because I trusted them, I, I, I just stayed loyal. So then when their disloyalty showed up after I lost my fight, it was easy to make those adjustments. It was easy to go somewhere else and say, you know what? Cool, like people that I've been loyal to was like basically turned their back on me. So now it's like, all right, thank you. You, you've allowed this space to be free and to now officially do what I have to do without any backlash, right? Like, oh, you left, uh, you left the team or you did this or like, so it was, it was, it just kind of worked out perfect. The craziest part of that story is that you, you know, this in the back of your head and you're still able to beat Cub Swanson and Frankie Edgar the way that you did. I mean, like there's obviously a base knowledge that you knew you had and a base skill you knew you had that could get past that. But I'm sure that's still in the back of your head when you're heading into a fight, knowing that maybe, yeah, maybe this might fail me today. There's, you know, something could go, go on where I'm, I'm stuck in a technical fight. I mean, Frankie Edgar's the king of technical fights, right? So it's just amazing to me that you were able to get that done with that in the back of your mind. It's uh, at the end of the day, I am a fighter, you know, I am a warrior. I will go in there and I'll fight any man I have to. Um, and that's kind of what, what it was, you know, I was just I was down to fight. I was down to step in there when people weren't. Frankie, no one wanted to fight him on two weeks notice. I'm going to step in there. Cub was like at that time was was the guy knocking every guy down the ladder. Bam. Past, like I got through it. Morgano was undefeated. Boom. And before that, it was, you know, like Clay Guida and, you know, like all the other guys. So my jiu-jitsu obviously helped me a tremendous amount. Me having a chin, me me having power in my hands. But ultimately what it was, it was just I'm a fighter, man, you know, like. You lock me anywhere with anyone, and if we had to fight, we will fight. And I don't care what you know. I don't care. I'm in my mind. I'm gonna win this. So, I feel like that's the the mentality that took me as far as as it did. And being cool and calm and collective, obviously during all the chaos. But um, but yeah, man. You know, now it's different, and we're gonna enjoy it. Uh, Brian, I always love speaking to you. One of the most thoughtful minds in the game. Uh, yourself, uh, the Korean Zombie. It's the main event this weekend, UFC Fight Night in Fight Island. I really appreciate your time. No worries, man. I'm pleased to be joined now by the Korean Zombie, Chan Sung Jung, who's in the main event this weekend against Brian Ortega. It's uh, on Fight Island, and he's uh, joined by his trainer, Eddie Cha, who will... Uh, be able to translate this for us. I appreciate that, Eddie. Uh, so, first and foremost, uh, Brian Ortega, a very tough opponent, but he's been off for two years. You took a very long hiatus from the sport because you uh, enrolled in, in military service for South Korea. Do you think that every fighter kind of reacts differently to having a long layoff? 
he doesn't think it's going to be a, a, a difference at all. He actually believes that his mental game and the toughness is going to be there even more because when he took three and a half years off coming back from the Army, um, he was actually mentally stronger. He was hungrier. He wanted to win more than anything. And so he's expecting Brian to do the same. There's really no top contender right now for Alexander Volkanovsky. But have you been impressed by Volkanovsky? Volkanovsky became a champion. Uh, he has not yet lost in the UFC. Uh, difficult guy to, to figure out. How do you think that he has been in terms of becoming champion, in terms of uh, defending the championship so far against Max Holloway? So, uh, first and foremost, he thought that uh, Holloway actually won the last fight. Um, but he thinks he's a great champion. Uh, uh, you know, with, especially with his height, he, th he thinks he's a super intelligent fighter. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to fight him after this fight. Do you feel like the featherweight division is the best um, weight class in the sport right now in terms of how deep it is, in terms of how tough the top 10 are? Um, lightweight? <laughs> he thinks a lightweight division is pretty tough. Too. I, I gathered that. I think I was able to translate that one myself, Eddie. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, yep. so, so with Ortega, he, he poses a, a really strong submission threat. Do you feel like he is the best submission practitioner that you've, you've faced so far in your career? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brian's probably one of the best guys he's faced. As uh, far as uh, submissions, uh, not necessarily maybe jiu-jitsu, but he says Ortega's submissions are, are really, really good. You've had many highlight finishes in your career. You had that great twister against uh, Leonard Garcia back in the day. This past weekend, we saw Joaquin Buckley with one of the all-time great highlights. Uh, what do you think of that? Do you think that's the best one of all time? He's not sure about greatest of all time, but he definitely thinks that uh, one of the most recent best knockouts. Are you inspired seeing something like that, knowing what's, what you know, the humans are capable of, of course, in the, uh, in the octagon? <laughs> no, I don't think he can beat that knockout. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll do your best to try this, uh, this weekend. So one thing that's come up throughout this, uh, this lead-up to this fight is the situation that happened in Las Vegas with Brian Ortega and uh, I guess your then-translator, Jay Park. Do you not like seeing this become part of the sport, all of this, uh, you know, the, the drama outside of the cage being uh, given a spotlight when you guys are just such incredible mixed martial artists inside of the cage? Are you referring to the slap? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he agrees. Uh, he feels though people just be, should be just focused on the athletes alone, but he understands it's a business and everything else. Um, that's long gone. He, he's passed it. it it's not a, a grudge match or anything like that. He's completely focused on the fight. Um, you know, that's all he's going to say about that. <laughs> And I don't think he's ever been in a situation where he fights emotionally. I, I don't think that uh, that really matters going into this fight either. Uh, do, do you agree with that? Yeah, no. Um, this whole camp, we've been focused on just Brian Ortega, not not Brian Ortega, the guy who slapped his, his friend and his boss and things like that. Um, he's completely dialed in. He knows what he, we, he needs to do. He knows the game plan down to the T. Uh, I think it's just all about execution October 17th. I'm wondering who his favorite martial artist is of all time. I, I mean, he, he does so many things well in the cage. Um, and I'd love to know uh, who, who has inspired you the most in your career. Jackie Chan. 
And as a fighter, he loved Benson Henderson. That's an interesting choice. I know you've coached Benson. So did Benson help at all with this uh, with this camp, or ha- or in previous camps? Uh, no, they're really good friends. Um, but as far as this camp, no, he wasn't involved. Have you been learning about the uh, the patented calf kicks that uh, really Benson Henderson put on the map with your help, Eddie? Uh, yeah, actually, he he experienced it firsthand when we were out there at the uh, at the lab a long time ago. Um, but yeah, he picked up a few tricks from him. Benson's the man. All right. Well, thank you very much for this. Uh, I'll let you go. I know you've got uh, a big week of preparation ahead of you. You've got a weight cut ahead of you. Uh, thank you for this, and best of luck this weekend against Brian Ortega. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Sir, thank you. I'm joined by the 15th-ranked flyweight contender, Jillian Robertson. And I've got a problem with you being ranked 15. You should be a lot higher than that. I was looking at the rankings, and, I, and just to show that I'm not having a Canadian bias here, I think you should be ranked ahead of Alexis Davis. She's 1-3, one, one split decision win. You're 5-2, five, five wins inside the distance. So what's going on here? Uh, I guess I'm just happy to be ranked. I just got the number after my last fight, so I'm happy with the number 15 right now. But uh, I'm willing to work my way up there. So hopefully after this fight, uh, I'll get another ranked opponent and I'll be able to just keep on moving up. You don't need to settle. I mean, I think that you, you, you have earned a higher ranking. Again, 5-2, and two, all finishes. But uh, I actually put out an open call on, on social media saying, if you're somebody who does the rankings, I would like for you to justify why Jillian is ranked 15th and Alexis Davis is ranked 11th. And again, I'm not trying to be biased towards Canadians because Alexis is a Canadian. That, that's how I'm proving this. Uh, so Pollyanna Battaglio, this is a tough opponent, obviously one that you can't overlook. Um, what do you think of her game? I, know, I don't know how much tape you watch in particular. Um, I know that you're very focused on, on your own skills. But uh, tell me a little bit about her. Uh, I, w- I watched a couple of her fights. I watched all of her UFC fights, and um, she seems to to come out very strong and very hard. She's a, a like very aggressive at the beginning of fights. Just throws everything into every single punch and every kick. But um, no matter what, the everybody knows the ground's my world. So it's like that's where we're headed. That's where we're trying to take the fight. And um, I know no matter what, I'll be able to find my reenactment joke. Yes, from what I understand, you're now a black belt. That was awarded to you very recently. What was that like? I mean, obviously working towards that for years and years and years, it must feel great to, to get it. Oh, it was completely unexpected and absolutely mind-blowing to me. Like, for probably, I've had my brown belt for about three years now. So about the last year, I've had everybody tell me, oh, you deserve a black belt. You deserve a black belt. And I'm just, I, I've always said to everybody, I'm like, oh, I'm never going to get my black belt. It's just never going to happen. And so for uh, Dean to finally give it to me, it was just, um, it's it's really like it, I don't know, it's it just solidifies it in my mind that that's the the place that I am. It's like I've had so many people tell me for so many years that that's what what I am, just based on my skill. But now that my coach recognizes it and that he believes that I deserve that uh, standard, then uh, it just means the world to me. So Dean's a bit of a joker, and I'm sure that he you know likes the element of surprise. So how did he spring this on you? Any any tricks up uh, old D Thomas's? Uh sleeve in terms of um you know surprising you with the black belt so it was uh, my first day out of quarantine here in abu dhabi and he texted me he's like i got something to give you and uh like i was just texting him like do you want am, are we, am i coming to train like is that what i'm doing like that's what i thought we we're trying to meet to do that's all i was focused on and i head up to his room and uh he's got a video camera oh he has somebody videotaping and everything and uh but it's like he's always doing stuff like that. Like you said, he's a jokester. He's always got the camera on for some type of video for Instagram or whatever. 
And um, he starts talking to me about how he's like, in this sport, we don't, it's not like college where you get a degree after so many years, but this is what we have as our degrees. This is that, that uh, note of accomplishment. And uh, he was saying how he's never seen a fighter that has so much drive and determination. He sees so much of himself in a, uh, as he was in a fighter in me. Like, uh, just nobody's as committed and nobody's as hardworking and he wants someone to carry on his legacy. And then that's when he surprised me with the belt. And I was able to keep my cool there for a couple minutes. And then as soon as I left the room, I'm like walking through the hallways, just sobbing with a black belt in my hand, just over the moon happy. And uh, it was like, I think, 2 a.m. in Florida. So that's where all my family lives. And I'm just sitting in my hotel room by myself, like wanting somebody to wake up, just needing somebody to tell that this happened. But everybody's sleeping back home. So it's just a lot of uh, excitement by myself in my hotel room for an hour after that. Now, I'm guessing you didn't get a lot of sleep after that. That, that seems like something that would keep you up uh, with the adrenaline. Okay, well, it, it was daytime here, so it was like, I think, uh, 12 in the morning then. Uh, so it's like, it wasn't, or in the afternoon then, so it wasn't like, I, I had all day to uh, be up then. I was just waiting for my parents to wake up, just to let them know. Isn't 12 in the afternoon sleep time, though? I, the fights are like at, you know, an ungodly time. <laughs> I don't know when your fight is this weekend, when you're supposed to be walking out, but I know that a lot of people's sleep schedules are staggered all over the place. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to do that this week. We're trying to adjust my schedule a little bit. I should be fighting uh, approximately around 2 a.m. over here. So it's definitely going to be rough. So I've been, uh, this week I started sleeping all day long. I've been sleeping uh, from about 5 a.m. to probably about 4 p.m. And then waking up and Dean and I do two training sessions, one at 5 p.m. and one in the middle of the night. So what? So how do you um, go about waking up in the middle of the night? So what? what's your schedule like, I guess, this week, so to speak? Uh, this week we're just trying to keep it at uh, 5 p.m. and then the middle of the night. So right now we just keep on pushing it later and later on my training sessions. Last night we did 12 o'clock at night. So um, tonight we're probably going to push it a little bit later, maybe like 1 until we can get to 2. And we're only a couple days out now, so I'm getting uh, pretty close. And no matter what, we'll have adrenaline and anxiety that night, so I'm sure that will keep me up. <laughs> so if everything goes according to schedule, according to plan, What's, what's your sleep schedule going to be like the day before the fight? So you, you weigh in, I guess it's 9 a.m. East Coast time that, that the weigh-in starts. So that would be, uh, let's you know, carry the five, uh, five o'clock in the afternoon for you guys. Um, so tell me about uh, what your schedule is like ideally. Uh, I'm going to be trying to stay up that whole night probably. Just keep it, uh, try to stay up as long as I can and then sleep all during the day. But I'm pretty, pretty good at sleeping, so that shouldn't be too much of a problem for me. <laughs> So have you been able to do that, um, I guess, as this week's progressed, like try to go to bed earlier and earlier? Um, you said your training sessions are like, uh, what was it, one in the afternoon or five in the afternoon? Yeah, 5 p.m. and then we do the middle of the night. So I usually I'll go to bed around like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. right now. <laughs> okay, so that's like being a teenager and like pulling, you know, playing World of Warcraft and going to bed really late. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> are, are, you a, are you a night owl normally? No, I'm not at all. Usually I'm in bed probably like 7, 8 p.m. Like I'm, I'm going to bed extremely early. So, oh, but technically my fight time, it'll be like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. back home. So it shouldn't, it's not too late if we're going off American time. Why do you go to bed so early? You're, you're what, with 25? And you go to bed at 7 or 8 at night? 
Um, my mom has always said it since I was a little kid. I have an old soul. I don't know. I like to just spend a lot of time by myself with my dog, get to bed early and just focus on training, get back to work. So what time are you up in the morning? Four or five? Uh, usually about like six or seven, I'd say. Oh, so you sleep for a long time. You're like a, you're like a 10, 11 hours type person. <laughs> I, I always tell people, uh, lions sleep for like 20 hours a day. So that's what it is. <laughs> I know that the NBA did a lot of studies about like optimal athlete performance and said that like getting that amount of sleep is when you will perform optimally. And I know that a lot of players in the NBA uh, do sleep like some some wild amount of hours, like somewhere from 11 to 14 hours a day. Okay, I don't feel 100% right in training unless I do because I'm training twice a day every single day, no matter what, if I have a fight coming up or not, this is my life. So it's like, I need that sleep. All right, so you're up at 6 a.m., you're training twice a day. I'm guessing I'm just going to give, you know, arbitrary times. Let's say it's like 10 and 3. What are you doing during the times in between? Uh, just hanging out with my dog. I do a lot of reading. I meditate. Just really my whole life right now is just focused around fighting. So it's like this: everything that I do is to just around this goal. This is what I love to do and this is what makes me happy. So I just spend my most time around it. So when you're reading, are you reading books that are about martial arts and about, you know, self-improvement and things of that nature? Yeah, a lot of stuff about mentality and mindset. People don't realize how much of this sport is mental, that uh, you really need to know how to control your mind. And then when you're in there, sometimes you're so, like you can be your worst, your biggest opponent, you know, your, your worst enemy. So, um, yeah, you just got to learn how to control your mind. So I read a lot about that. Would you have a recommendation for anybody or do you want to keep that, you know, close to the vest and keep keep your own secrets? <laughs> oh, I've got a lot of recommendations. Uh, <laughs> My most of my books they come from Dean he'll just text me and be like oh you need to read this you need to read this so I got a list that uh, he always has me going and um, yeah there's there's a lot of them just about anything about chasing your dreams building your mindset or just being a world champion that's all I want to do so that's what we're focused on so it's the Dean Thomas book club we'll have to get a subscription at some point in time so so when you're um, you know when you're going in to compete Again, you're only 25. You've got a, a, you know, a long career ahead of you. Are there any situations you know, early in your UFC career or early in your career prior to that where you really felt like you had defeated yourself before the fight? Uh, yeah, actually, my first UFC loss, I would say that that's what happened when I fought uh, Myra Buena Silva. I, it was like whenever I entered the cage, I feel like, honestly, I underestimated her a lot. And I was also – I don't – I just wasn't there mentally. I, I – I remember I got a takedown earlier in the fight, like within like the first 30 seconds of the fight, I took her down. And my first thought in my head was, wow, she's strong. And it's like, you shouldn't be thinking that I'm in a dominant position. I'm doing what I want to do right now. I just got the takedown that I wanted. And I'm thinking like, oh, wow, she's strong. I, I'm like, I should be thinking about, oh, I'm going to beat her up right now. And um, I guess as since then, I've done a lot of work with reading and meditation. Like that fight was the one that really changed me that I... Uh, really opened up my mind to different things because um, yeah, it's the worst feeling in the world when you just like one of my friends told me he's like it looked like you were surviving from dominant positions and that's how I felt during that whole fight <laughs> yeah that must be difficult Did, have you watched that one back like do you do you ever look at it and say like okay right here this is what I could have done and what I should have done uh, I've watched it once but uh, honestly like I don't feel like I can really do that because it, it just wasn't me in there like that fighter that it I wasn't performing to any kind of like it just wasn't me at all. And there's no way to describe it, I guess. 
that I just wasn't performing in there. And um, I'll look back on my other losses. Like when I fought Macy Barbo, watch that fight and uh, I'll break that one down. And it's a lot easier for me because I feel like I was mentally there and performing the whole time and she just caught me. But uh, when I, in the Myra Buena Silva fight, it's like, there's nothing you can do. Sometimes you don't show up mentally and that's just it. Is that one that you want back? Oh, a hundred percent. No matter what, I want every, every single fight in the division I'm trying to get. So if she's above me still, I want it. <laughs> now, I heard another interview with you where you talked about uh, Antonina Shevchenko. She apparently turned down a fight with you. What, what are the details of that? Uh, I was offered a fight, in, I believe it was in August with her, and it was on three or four weeks' notice. So I know it was a little bit short notice, so I'm assuming that's why she turned it down. I'm hoping it's not because of the matchup, because I would still love to get that one in the future. So, uh, yeah, I'm really hoping I can get that fight after this one, honestly. Do you have, like, one – like, if I, if I gave you the book, you can choose any opponent uh, in your weight class to face – um, somewhere down the line, you know, be it after this fight or whenever, who would it be? Uh, I guess it's her right now because I just want somebody who's ranked above me. I want everybody who's 1 to 14. I'm ready for it. And I feel like if I want to be a world champion, I got to be able to beat all those girls. So uh, I feel like she's an ideal matchup for me. And I believe she's ranked 12 or 13 right now. So it'll bump me up a little bit where I'm not jump the rankings too much i'm not trying to rush to the belt right now i'm still 25 years old so i have a lot of time to get there i'm just um uh so i feel like she would be a good number for me to go after next antonina is like the gatekeeper for valentina like you have to get through her first in order to get to the the top level of of shevchenko's (laughs) yeah pretty much and um yeah, like I said, I'm just willing to work my way up there. So I know I'm a while away from Valentina. I'd say probably at least like a year or two. But um, I want to get as many fights as I can in in that time period. Well, in this division, I mean, a couple wins will get you right there. We've seen it happen with a lot of the different fighters uh, in this division. Um, you know, I, I felt bad for Joanne Calderwood when she she took that fight. It was a risky fight against Jennifer Maya and ended up losing her title shot. But all it took was, I think, two great wins for her to really get into that mix. And uh, yes, I feel bad for her, but also if you are the world champion, you got to be able to beat everyone. So it's like she would have had the belt for one fight and then Jennifer Maya would have came and took it from her. She obviously showed that. So um, if you're the if you're the best in the world, you got to be able to beat every single person underneath you. So I think uh, Joanne, like it was a smart move for her to take that fight. Absolutely. Well, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, all right. Well, best of luck to you this weekend. It's always nice to have a, a Canadian represent us in the cage. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You've all heard of the shot heard around the world. This is the spinning heel kick heard around the world, and it's Joaquin Buckley joining me from St. Louis. How much has your life changed since this incredible moment? Uh, my life is still the same right now. You know, uh, haven't left the house as much you know i still got things to do around here uh but social media wise man uh on there it has changed a lot you know what i mean so my following has changed um tremendously i got a lot of new supporters i got a lot of love uh coming my way you know what i'm saying but you know right now the real world reality my life's still the same <laughs> how many followers did you have on both twitter and instagram before the event and how much how many do you have now uh on twitter i don't even use twitter for i got it but i, I rarely even use my twitter uh, I only had like 30 followers, I believe, on Twitter. No cap. Only had 30 followers, and now I got like 6,000 or 7,000 followers just off of that. But my Instagram, which I'm more active on, that's the one that really blew up on me. And I only had like 2,500 people follow me at the time, and then it just skyrocketed up to 71,000. I'm like, come on now. That's crazy. <laughs> Do you check your messages, your DMs, anything weird pop in there? 
I just did. I actually, I just did yesterday. Uh, not yesterday, today. And um, I, I had a lot of you know interesting people uh, message me, whatever. But the the coolest message I got was the guy named Freak. Um, I had played his uh, music. Uh, he's from uh, Abu Dhabi. He's a rap star over there. And uh, I had played his uh, Walla Kilmer uh, video or song for my walkout, and he ended up messaging me back, whatever. And, you know what I'm saying? He was just giving me props on the fight. So that was pretty dope. You know. I don't know mm -hmm. if you saw another rapper tweeted out the video today. Did, did you hear about this yet? <laughs> Kanye? Yeah, <laughs> man. Made a whole song off of it. Yeah, it, was, it was lit, man. Yeah. So that's pretty. That's got to be pretty cool. Have you seen Kanye West tweeted out to? I don't know how many followers he has, but it's got to be several million. That's uh, that's pretty yeah. interesting to see. I'm sure you wake up in the morning, people are probably texting you saying, "Like, go check out Kanye's <laughs> Twitter to see this." Yeah, everybody was sending it to me, man. It's still blowing up on my phone right now as we speak. Um, it's so surreal, man. And I gotta, you know, shout out Kanye. So I appreciate it, Kanye, man, for showing me love like that, man. You ain't had to, but I thank you. Did you realize how big it would be after it happened? I don't know if you looked up at the big screen and saw the replay and was like, wow, that's, uh, I don't, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> I have seen things like that before, <laughs> but just not in MMA wise. Like, on, you know, Taekwondo videos, you know, um, you know, uh, what other videos? Just like, you know, kickboxing videos and stuff like that. So I, I didn't seen the kick um, performed before, you know what I mean? But when I did it, I didn't really expect it to have the impact that it did and blow up. The way that it did, you know what I mean? I know I did something spectacular, but I didn't think it was going to launch the way it did, you know? So when you make contact with that kick and you're, you know, you, you don't see what's happened and you know that it, obviously your, your foot hit something. When did you come to realize that, like, does it happen in slow motion? Like when you turn around and you see that he's going down at that time, like, does it feel like things are going kind of going in slow motion? Yes, sir. I mean, the whole fight, in my in my opinion, I don't know about other fighters, but mine's like, it, it's like a tunnel vision, but everything is slowed down, you know what I'm saying? Just just a little bit, you know what I mean? Uh, when I watch videos, I never believe it's as fast as it really is when I'm actually in there and actually competing and I'm actually fighting, you know? So when I had through that kick, you know, I knew exactly where I landed it because I looked over my shoulder and I aimed and I fired and I hit my target when I did I didn't see the reaction, though, because I was still turning. So when I made my full 360 all the way around, I seen his body go stiff, and I seen him land. Like, everything was slow motion even then right there, and I knew it was game. I knew it was uh, game over after that once he fell. Well, that's a risky move because if, if you, even if you connect with it, you're still kind of leaving yourself vulnerable by kind of spinning and having your back to your opponent. So I guess your first instinct is probably to defend yourself, and then you kind of see what's happened. Uh, yeah, it was, um, but he didn't bite the second time, um, when he had my foot. So, you know, it was two initial times where he had grabbed my foot and, uh, he didn't do anything. Um, uh, so I, I told myself once I threw that kick and if he caught it again, just to throw it, you know what I mean? Be honest with you, I had nothing to worry about at the time because once I kick, it just shows initial threat and I was able to prepare myself for it. As you see, like, it looked like I'm running, running away once I kicked him, <laughs> you know, so it, it's not much ground he would have been able to cover anyway. Uh, once I threw that kick. We do something on SportsCenter. It's called 1v1. We take the best play of the day, then we put it against the, the best play of the next day, and the next day, and the next day, as long as it wins up until 10 in a row. And I, apparently, your, your clip is just beating everybody by a landslide. Do you have anything you want to say to the Canadians to maybe encourage them to continue voting for you so we can retire this clip into infamy? Uh, uh, oh, no, no. Actually, just, yeah, just keep voting, keep voting, keep voting, man. Uh, if you love it, you know what I'm saying? I like it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, what's your favorite all-time sports clip? Like, if you were to take the best highlight ever, what do you think it is? Uh, that's a good, that's a good question, man. Um, 
I'm always still uh, a big fan of uh, the Hendo knockout, man. I'm always going to be a big fan of that uh, devastating knockout of uh, Michael Bisbee. That's always been my favorite. Uh, so I'll probably put that as number one. Why do you like that one in particular? Uh, just the buildup of the fight with uh, Bisping and uh, Dan Henderson, man. It was so much beef in between, you know. And Dan Henderson, like, he just stopped talking after a while. And, you know, he just let Bisping talk, 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 talk the whole time. And Dan was just like, man, I'm just going to have to prove him wrong. I'm just going to have to show him. And when he landed that overhand, you know what I mean, and it starts Michael Bisping, he still has something left. Like, you know what I'm saying, the, the signature move, that, that that's the real finishing, like – uh, uh, TKO right there, like, and ever since then, like, ever since I was like, you know, you know, I wouldn't say a kid, but you know, a younger, uh, younger adult, whatever, and watching that, you know, it's pretty dope, man. It's iconic for me. How are you dealing with being in the spotlight? Are you enjoying this? Are you enjoying doing a lot of interviews and uh, and getting yourself out there? Uh, yeah, it's something new, uh, something I got to get used to for sure. <laughs> doing all these interviews. Well, when Dana White was backstage, he mentioned that people are asking him to give you two hundred dollars, give you every bonus, or two hundred thousand dollars. Two hundred dollars doesn't go that long. Two hundred thousand dollars. Are they giving you anything extra on the side? I know they're giving you the fifty thousand dollars, but not all performances of the night are created equal. Right, right. I couldn't tell you, man. I don't know. I don't know. I ain't even checked my bank account yet. I'm scared. I don't know what to see. You know, I don't know what I'm gonna see when I look in there. Well, usually it comes in the form of a check, I believe, if it's like a discretionary bonus. But nobody has tipped you off on a discretionary bonus. No, no, not yet. I ain't, I ain't got that in the mail yet. <laughs> Hopefully the mailman ain't take my check, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently um, the numbers on this on social media shattered every other UFC uh, social media clip that they've ever shared out by a good amount. When you, when you hear that, does that mean anything to you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it just, it just shows how great the, you know, the knockout was, you know, and... Um, like when I when I was training that kick and doing that kick like for like I don't know how many years like you know what I mean I was just always practicing it just because I love the technique and I love the move and it's pretty um you know um you, it's a good workout you know what I mean to it's uh, good for the core you know what I'm saying it's good for your aesthetics you know it's good for you know what I'm saying um my vertical you know just trying to jump and everything like that but uh, I was only just training it just for the fun and the love of the technique. You know, I was never like really ever planning on throwing that technique in a real fight ever, you know, until I actually saw the opportunity to do it uh, within the fight with Emperor. So when I got that kickoff, you know what I mean, uh, for the first time, like, you know, it, you know, it just shows you that, you know, whatever you train and whatever you doing, um, you know, and drilling constantly, whatever, you can't pull it off in real time if, if, if the situation presents itself, you know. Have you always felt kind of like an underdog? You, you came in against Kevin Holland, very short notice. You were a big underdog there. Uh, Impa Kasanganai hasn't been doing MMA for a long time, but he was an undefeated prospect. You were a big underdog against him. Um, you know, prior to the fight, I had mentioned, you know, don't sleep on Joaquin Buckley. He looked great in his first fight. It's just, you know, he took it on really short notice against a really tough guy in Kevin Holland. Um, even though he's a right. big underdog here, this is a guy who, who showed that he had a lot of skill. Uh, but, but do you feel like you're not the underdog anymore after something like this, now that kind of all the eyes are on you? Uh, we'll see. It depends on who they match me up with, I guess, you know. Uh, but I don't mind being the underdog, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of get that from you. You don't mind having the underdog mentality. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> And you're still very young in this in this sport. You're still very young in life. You're 26 years old. Um, how much, uh, you know, how soon do you think it's realistic for you to enter the rankings, um, start contending for a title, uh, things like that? Do you have like any sort of long-term goals or any ages that you you have in terms of where you want to be? 
Um, I'm shoot, probably uh 2021. Be honest with you, if I if I keep uh moving the way I'm moving, you know, I can definitely see uh you know that that ranking number being given to me, you know, like in the top ten or something like that. If I keep fighting the way I'm fighting, just you know, just moving up the rankings. So it can happen within uh 2021. I believe it. And how's fatherhood been treating you? I saw you do an interview with Ariel Hawani. You had, you had the, the little guy with you. Um, has that been a fun experience for you so far? Oh, it's been a great experience, man. My son is uh, a trip, man. Uh, he's uh, very expressive already at a very young, young age, just not even being two months already. You know, he makes so many facial expressions and, you know, he lets us know when he's hungry. He always eating almost like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like almost not just like every day, but just like every freaking second. You know what I mean? Like, my man is always hungry. He's growing so fast. Um, but the experience of me uh, raising a child right now, you know what I mean, is just tiring. You know what I mean? They don't, you know, go on your sleep schedule and everything. Like, they sleep when they want to, you know, and they wake you up when they want to. So, you know, it's been fun, though. I've got three. You don't need to tell me that much. Uh, I, uh, I, my two-year-old still won't sleep through the night. She's killing us. But uh, I always appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for this. And uh, congratulations on all your success. 2020 has not been a great year for a lot of people. We've got a lot going on in this world. But for you, it seems to have been a, a banner year. So uh, congrats on all your I'm success. I'm not going to lie. 2020 has been great to me. I'm only blessed. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm pleased to be joined now by Rat Garbage. I never thought I'd say those words, Mandel Nalo. So Rat Garbage, I- I've been on your Instagram account, and it's basically all this cool artwork that has to do with, you know, like pollution and dead animals. Is that where Rat Garbage came from? That people saw your, your interesting graphic design and they just kind of anointed you as Rat Garbage? Uh, it was kind of a brainstorm because I'm always very late to the social media. Whatever social media platform is important, I'm... Uh, a few years behind and in a career like MMA you got you should be on top of that stuff so my friends were convincing me to start a Instagram profile and I didn't want to you know I don't want to be one of those guys Mandel Nalo MMA and I post pictures of my newest haircut or whatever and then me hitting the bag uh, people saw that a million times so I figured I'd do something different with it and uh, <laughs> I appreciate you saying this stuff is cool though thank you it is cool. I mean, I, I could I couldn't do it. Anything that I can't do is cool. <laughs> if I if I if I'm not able to put something like that together, then it's cool to me because I know that lots of work goes into it. That's true. At least when it comes to art. I mean, eating a shoe, uh, I couldn't do it, but uh, I wouldn't call it cool. <laughs> I would, but that I guess that's what makes yeah, us different. Guess, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you have a background in art, or is this just something that you've done as an interest? Yeah, it's just something I picked up uh, to spend the time between trainings. Like it's easy to waste a lot of your time you know doing absolutely nothing so i figured if i try to do something creative then that's better than you know re-watching some sitcom that i've seen twice already you know i'm kind of with you on instagram i i have an account but i barely use it because i have like a real self-awareness issue i don't like taking selfies and taking pictures of stuff i feel weird about it like i, I don't I, i've been i've been in new york before and i'm crossing the street and i see and somebody stops right in front of me so they can take a selfie with like traffic and i'm yeah. thinking like you must have zero self-awareness to know that a there's people like walking it's a busy city obviously it's new york city but you're gonna stop and like just take pictures of you with cars and i just can't wrap my head around doing that it's it's pretty wild that this is where people are at now. I mean, I mean, 
but, you know, to each their own. I don't want to be uh, judgmental or anything. But I think just on a personal level, like putting yourself out there that much it, it seems a little bit, um, I don't know, it just seems a little bit strange, a little bit Twilight Zone. You see, we cracked the code because I said that if there's something I can't do, it's cool. But I can't stop in New York traffic and take a picture of myself. I don't think it's very cool. Exactly. <laughs> but it makes some people a lot of money. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. If you can find a way to monetize it, for sure. But I just think people are, most people are just doing it for the sake of doing it, which I think is, uh, that's counterproductive. But again, neither here nor yeah. there. So you've got a, a big fight against an OG in Bellator, Syed Awad. Um, this was a, a fun one for you to take, but I've noticed a trend. It seems like early October every year is when Mandel Nalo fights. I guess it's, it, it's now just become the way things go. I get excited at the beginning of the year. I go, time for me to have a Neil Magny style year and get seven in and then something crazy happens I don't fight for eight months and then you know Connecticut yet again uh which is fine you know <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the big thing is like training is fun so as as long as I'm training and I feel like I'm getting better I trust uh, that fights will happen you know and it so far they've happened once a year but Something will change soon, and we'll get more fights in. Well, we know what the crazy thing is this year that happened, but what about last year and the year before that? What, what were the things that uh, precluded you from fighting then? You know, because fights are so, like, they're, things have to really line up perfectly for a fight to truly happen. You see it all the time. You know, one guy gets injured, another guy gets injured, flight scheduling, uh, like, and then you have to plan your life. So I remember, like, uh, so I had plan to move and then I get a fight off for two weeks before and I'm like I can't I can't do that or I was signed up to fight in I think it was San Jose maybe a short notice opponent and that guy dropped out so bad luck I guess and 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 just that's the way the fight game is and I get injured you know I get injured plenty too but I noticed that like you you have a, a, a baby that just turned a year old and you had the baby like a couple weeks before you competed last year yeah, so I mean, <laughs> it's funny uh, because enough stuff goes wrong in a year, and you lose the opportunity to fight enough times. At a certain point, you just go, "Okay, we got it. We just got to do it." So I was already kind of looking to fight, and I got the offer. It was, I think, it was the day before he was born, and uh, my wife and I were just like, "Yeah, okay," you know, like because I'm pretty useless in that situation, anyways. I mean, he doesn't need me. <laughs> doesn't mean need me until he's probably I don't know six. That's what my assumption. So, <laughs> well, you're way wrong on that. As somebody who has yeah. three kids, you're way wrong on six. Yeah. Two, <laughs> two probably. Okay. You don't have that much time <laughs> before they, they want you around. Two years. <laughs> um, so, uh, what's fatherhood been like for you? I mean, you, the the baby is a year old now. Um, what's the, and last time you fought it was your first ever loss was yeah. your head in the in the game at that point in time was there something that uh in that particular fight or during fight week or anything along those lines that might have happened that took away some of your focus no i don't think so i think that that i mean if anybody watched that fight you saw how it went i thought i was doing fine in the fight and then you know things happen in mma that you just can't prepare for and uh something crazy happened so as far as my headspace during that fight no totally wasn't a factor um you have 15 minutes to really focus in on something like that and if your head is elsewhere then eh, you're crazy you shouldn't have taken the fight so no I, I felt pretty good in there 
Uh, as far as the year, it's been cool, especially through the lockdown because my wife went back to work right when it hit. Uh, so I was just uh, dad mode, full full go. And it was cool. You know, you, you live your life and you really don't learn how to be a parent at all. And so when it happens, you just kind of run off intuition and uh, it's easier than people make it out to be. Yeah, at so, least so. <laughs> it's funny. They always talk about fighting be a prim being a primal thing. Uh, not a lot of people do that, but everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people become parents. And that's a very primal thing. Like as soon as the yeah. baby's born, you know how to change diapers and hold them and all this stuff. It Pretty just kind of happens. And I was not a baby guy, you know, like I was not one of those people excited to hold somebody else's baby. Like the whole situation freaked me out. Uh, but, you know, when it's yours, it's way easier. You should get a shirt that says not a baby guy and hold your baby. I've never heard <laughs> yeah. that term used before. Not a baby guy. I like that. Oh, really? I feel like that's a thing. <laughs> there are baby guys and, you know, guys like me. <laughs> but I'm sure you uh, you were happy to uh, to uh, have a child. Now, now that you've seen what it's like, it's probably something you, I imagine you look forward to for, for years to come. Yeah. I mean, it's if you look at the trajectory of a lifespan, it's one of the best things you can do. So as long as you're prepared for it and for everything that it means in terms of your, you know, what your schedule is, it's the, it's great. So yeah, I, I imagine I'm on this interview and I'm just like, <laughs> you know what? It's time for me to come clean. It sucks. Uh, no, I love it. Did you ask Eamon for any advice? He's got two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Eamon is, a wealth of knowledge he he is a baby guy and uh he's read every book and so he's very very good for if if you need help getting your kid to sleep or all that and i get a ton of hand-me-downs you know oh that's always good news um but yeah, yeah Eamon uh loved as soon as he started you know as soon as he had the twins he was sending me pictures and, and all that he, he loves uh being a dad he really embraces it yeah we're, we're opposite ends of the spectrum, not in terms of loving being a dad, but in terms of uh, just like he's – I'm not a very excitable guy. So, you know, had a kid. It's like, all right, well, you know, we'll see how this plays out. And Eamon's like so excited, <laughs> excited to share with everybody. I've, I assume everybody's annoyed when I talk about my kids. So I'm like – When you see the name Syada Watt on the, on the contract, does that have any extra meaning to you? I mean uh... – when I think Bellator and I think like the early days of Bellator and, and your particular division, like his name stands out as, uh, like I said, one of the Bellator OGs. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I wasn't sure what kind of uh, match they were going to offer me. And when we got that name, I was excited. I, I always leave it up to my coach for as to, you know, accept the matchup just to, you know, avoid any kind of strangeness. Uh, if he says yes, uh, then it's a go. Um, so it was it was exciting because he's a well-known guy, and it's a matchup that I think a lot of people will be interested in seeing. Uh, and it's you know it, it's huge. He's uh, yeah, he's fought a ton of great people. Your name has always come up when I talk to people at TriStar as, uh, as one of the best guys at the gym, um, especially talent-wise. You know, they think that uh, that you have uh, such a, a huge amount of potential. Do you feel like because you haven't been that active the last couple of years that like some of your fight years are getting left behind? Do you feel like you really want to start uh, picking up the schedule? I know that Bellator hasn't had events for the first half of the year, or, you know, a couple months in a row, uh, but now they're there. Seems like they're churning out events week after week. Yeah, so I think that there is a point in 
your career when you, when experience really shines through the most. You see it happen a lot where younger fighters who look very promising end up fighting a guy that has a ton of experience and it, it's a blowout. Uh, and maybe not based, maybe if they sparred, it would be totally different. But on the day, the guy with the experience really shows it. So yeah, of course I want to I want to be more active and. This year has been very cool for guys like, uh, most notably, I think Bobby Green is the guy that who's been doing so well. And he's a guy I remember when he signed to the UFC, I was like, oh man, this guy's very good. And his career, you know, it was kind of up and down and maybe he got overlooked for certain matchups. But now he's a guy who can stay active and he's getting great matchups and he's really performing well. So yeah, I definitely want to be more active. And from what I understand, when you fought Carrington Banks, the entire TriStar gym made a, a killing betting on you. I, I think I had <laughs> informed Olivier that you were the underdog in that fight and he like spread the word. <laughs> People are crazy. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, do what you want with your money, but uh, I'm just going in there to perform to the best of my ability. Don't, uh, don't bet your house on me. You know, I know some guys will say that, but I'm not trying to have death threats or whatever. I'm doing this for me. Did you jump on the uh, the TriStar Gym cryptocurrency uh, bandwagon? It seemed like uh, Faraz, Faraz was telling everybody who would listen there that they should invest, and it was at a good time. Yeah, I mean, through through this whole lockdown, I mean, people have been making a killing with with new cryptos and stuff. Uh, it's not. I don't get involved in that. Really, money. What, what am I doing with all that money? You know, like I'll make money. <laughs> I'm not trying to spend hours a day researching which new coin to buy. Uh, I'll leave that to people who find, like, you have to find that stuff enjoyable. Uh, it's not enjoyable to me, but I, I think it's great. People should make money with crypto. So what is it that you find enjoyable? I mean, you uh, you don't use social media much. Obviously, you can't train 24 hours a day. What, what do you spend a lot of your time doing? Uh, obviously, you're a dad, so you, you spend time doing that. You spend time with with your wife, of course, but any, anything uh, else stand out to you? Music, anything, anything else you spend your time on as something of a hobby? Yeah, you know, I I do listen to a lot of music. Like I'll spend, you know, at least an hour a day researching different music blogs, checking to see if anything cool has come out. Uh, food. I watch a lot of like food YouTube and stuff. You know, I find that stuff very interesting. Even even if it's I'm not gonna make the recipe, having the knowledge is is cool to me. But it's very mundane stuff for me. Yeah, music, food, you know, art. I like a bit of art, uh, but that's it. Training, you know, I just like training. I don't know if it's mundane. I'm a big music guy. I spend more time on music than I'd, I'd like to admit, but what, what what kind of music blogs are you reading? Uh, so, Gorilla vs. Bear is one for, like, indie music. Pitchfork is the big one for, you know, large releases. Uh, Pigeons and Planes, they're like under complex now, but they've got like more of a like hip hop music scene thing. Uh, there's a couple other ones that I check daily just to, you know, and then like Twitter or whatever. So you do but use it, Twitter. You, you have no tweet Mandel, but are you just like, a, you're strictly like a lurker. I'm a Twitter lurker. Yeah. <laughs> True to my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not going to start just tweeting all kinds of stuff until you change the, the handle. Exactly. You can't be a phony. Thanks for your time, Mandel. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to your, your bout against uh, Syed Awad. Thank you very much.